This is Ron Oral, and you're listening to the Activist Investing Today podcast. And I'm super excited today to be speaking to Lawrence Elbaum, partner at Vincent and Elkins in New York. Elbaum co-heads Viennese shareholder actives in practice. He advises companies targeted by activist investors, and he advises clients on proxy fights, merger contests, consent solicitation, vote no campaigns, and short attacks. He's here to talk to us a bit about how the market volatility and the brutal sell-off brought on by the coronavirus epidemic is impacting activist investors and their campaigns. So thanks, Lawrence, for taking the time. Thank you, Ron, for uh, having us. I uh, really appreciate it. Okay, cool. So let's get right down to it. Um, it's clear that what's happening now cannot be compared exactly to the 2008-2009 financial crisis. That one obviously was more the banks and mortgage lending and, uh, and no-doc loans and all these type of things. But looking back at that time may provide some guidance about what to expect in the months to come when it comes to activists. And uh, Lawrence and I both looked at some facts at data, which surprised me and showed that in 2008 and 2009, were still record years when compared to the following decade when it came to the number of director contests launched. Uh, so uh, facts that noted that the number of director contests in 2008 and 2009 were 126 and 133 respectively in the US. And it's far greater than any year since. So, uh, and as Lawrence and I, we were just chatting uh, briefly a minute ago, um, anecdotally, we're seeing a lot of director fights and activist campaigns continue. Today, Matt Calley, a four-person director fight, the REIT. Uh, Yesterday, uh, Starboard, eBay, four-person minority slave proxy contest. Icon with a 13D today, Occidental Petroleum, raising the stake from 2.5% to 10% and clearly moving ahead with this change of control, I believe it's a total board takeover at uh, Occidental Petroleum. So it's really interesting time. And so Lawrence, I'll just, uh, you know, putting it in context, I mean, um, what, what do you think, uh, this, looking back at those statistics, what, what do you think it means for activist campaigns and proxy contests during uh, this volatile time we find ourselves in today? Uh, thank you, Ron. Uh, well, look, the statistics uh, don't lie. I uh, would encourage everyone to look at the fact set data. Um, it's always very you know, thoughtfully compiled, uh, organized, uh, e- easy to understand. Uh, you know, it's clear that in the, the last financial crisis uh, was driven by uh, financial fundamentals uh, that stopped working properly. Uh, and there had to be government bailouts and, and, uh, and other you know, major watershed financial events major financial institution bankruptcies, that precipitated uh, that financial crisis. Here, yes, uh, you know, we are dealing with um, uh, a, a bull market uh, epidemic leading up to the coronavirus uh, crisis, um, where, you know, there probably would be few people um, that wouldn't admit that, uh, uh, you know, the, the surge in prices and valuations uh, uh, seemed like it seemed like it would never end. Uh, it looks like you know this crisis right now is is episodic uh, and related to the um, uh, reaction to the coronavirus. While the World Health Organization and other institutions and countries um, are you know, sorting through uh, the data. Um, which is still a major unknown, 
Uh, and that's, that's creating panic in the markets. Uh, of course, you know, what happened over the weekend um, in the energy space with uh, global oil prices uh, being impacted, uh, you know, added yet another, um, you know, cliff uh, to drop off of in the market. But what we saw in 2008, 2009, which is really when uh, the, the latest wave and rising tide of shareholder activism started, um, we didn't see that in, in the face of fin financial fundamentals failing and unwinding, we saw an unprecedented wave of activism. Now, there were some major governance problems that um, uh, companies then uh, had as low-hanging fruit that were much easier for activists to deal with. It was a different activism, uh, activism campaign and activism defense bar. Uh, back then, you know, uh, uh, institutional shareholders now uh, have have uh, clearly articulated policies. ISS and Glass Lewis are um, mainstays, much more influential uh, in terms of the outcomes of these matters. The company's governance uh, practices have been a lot more cleaned up, um, and you know what's left are business fundamentals. Um, and questions about whether the boards are good fiduciaries and good stewards for uh, businesses. Um, I, my personal opinion is that there, there will be plenty of hedge funds, and, and first-time activists, family offices, private equity funds, private companies who've been contemplating activism this season uh, who are going to walk away from their campaigns uh, due to a host of uh, uh, pressures. Uh, some of them are going to be external pressures, market driven. Uh, it, it, it is too it is too expensive to run a campaign to unlock value. Uh, this is this is not the time. This is not the industry. This is no longer the place to run fight. Um, I do think that a lot of uh, p potential uh, investors are going to be uh, shying away from campaigns because of LP pressure um, or pressure from other other constituencies uh, are frankly just having what, what, what I've been calling a proxy fight uh, remorse, uh, you know, wishing they had, they had chosen another quarter uh, to launch their uh, great proxy fight. Uh, you know, so in many, in, 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 there, there will be many funds, I believe, that have proxy fight remorse. However, I also believe that there are many established activist hedge funds, hedge funds that use activism as a strategy and what I would call uh, institutional activists, folks like Carl Icahn um, and his entities who have been th through ups and downs in the market um, for multiple generations, um, have seen this quote-unquote movie before um, and are going to use this not only to you know, opportunistically build uh, you know, large stakes in companies that are severely undervalued uh, for future campaigns, but they're going to press forward with their current campaigns uh, because they don't want to uh, be looked at as uh, giving giving up a campaign, um, you know, over something that might later be viewed in hindsight as episodic, uh, you know, hysteria over the coronavirus um, or or uh, you know potential uh, you know uh, uh, you know macro uh, changes in the uh, in the energy uh, pricing environment. So I do think a lot of these institutional activists, we'll call them, uh, will continue to press forward. And, and it's evident this week 
Um, we see a lot of, of the higher profile uh, campaigns or the higher profile activists, um, you know, pressing forward. Um, and I think they're going to, we're going to see them continue to press forward um, to try to achieve their objectives. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You, uh, yeah, you touched on a few, a lot of really interesting points, a lot of uh, food for thought for us. So I appreciate that, Lawrence. Um, uh, it was kind of uh, interesting, your point. I know that Carl Icahn has a huge hoard of cash as one proxy solicitor suggested to me not too long ago. And so I suspect that he could probably do some stuff there. And some of the other more established funds, I'm thinking like Value Act, uh, Starboard, Elliott. My understanding is they have longer lockups for a lot of their funds. And so how important is that, that the, uh, if the activist, you know, one has a, a reputation of uh, being successful over a longer period of time, and two, that they have the, the funds locked up for a long time. I feel like that's, that's a factor that could um, encourage their, their, their activism even during these troubling times, no? Absolutely. Uh, completely agree. Uh, you know, lockups um, are, are contractual. Um, with, uh, you know, as, as I understand it, very few uh, exceptions. Um, and uh, lockups uh, allow, uh, you know, those uh, investment funds uh, to, to, to operate uh, within those long-term lockup periods to do what they need to do uh, to maximize value for their investors. Uh, their investors invested on that notion on that concept, on that thesis, um, and uh, and 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 are probably not expecting the value acts of the world, uh, you know, to give up doing what they're doing on a daily basis. Now they're expecting them to uh, uh, be risk averse and to take steps to be appropriately hedged uh, so that they're not adversely affected. Uh, but I don't think they're going to be, um, you know, for again, we're calling them, uh, you know, institutional activists. The lack mm -hmm. of a better term. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think with the longer lockups, there's going to be a tremendous amount of LP pressure. I think there's an implicit uh, trust uh, in the judgment of the portfolio managers of those funds um, to determine when to when to drop a campaign or when to uh, pursue uh, one to the fullest extent. And yeah, it's interesting. I've heard that a few of the larger funds, for example, Pershing Square, have. Uh, uh, hedge their uh, implemented significant hedges, but still maintain their large equity positions in the in the companies that they've been investing in and the campaigns that they've they've engaged in. So I guess I wanted to ask your uh, question, uh, uh, you know, from a company point of view, since you advise a lot of companies targeted by activists, um, what are kind of things that they can do to protect themselves during the downturn? Uh, from activists and in general, uh, we had uh, chatted before. You mentioned two that I thought were extremely fascinating. One involving insurance, and the other one involving perhaps setting up a poison pill, uh, also known as a shareholder rights plan, uh, uh, usually to protect against an unsolicited bidder. But maybe now you should protect against an activist slashed unsolicited bidder. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Good. Uh, good question. Um, well, look. In terms of uh, shareholder rights plans. Uh, you know, there are, there's precedent out there, and we, we've been through this before, of course, um, for companies adopting shareholder rights plans in, just in very volatile markets. Mm -hmm. You know, normally you'll see companies adopt uh, a poison pill or a shareholder rights plan, or whatever, whatever we're calling them nowadays, um, in, in response to a very specific threat. So, you know, a massive accumulation of one shareholder. Um, an, an unsolicited bid that's hostile 
um, sometimes there's there's a very good reason for a company to adopt a shareholder rights plan uh, to protect uh, valuable net operating losses from losing um, their uh, long-term value. So there are reasons the Delaware courts um, uh, will condone the use of uh, uh, shareholder rights plans under you know targeted circumstances. ISS and Glass Lewis and institutional shareholder policies uh, reflect that that poison pills are uh, not just not just uh, uh, appropriate in certain circumstances; they're necessary in certain circumstances. The board need to think very carefully about them. Another circumstance that's very narrow is is a situation where there's a tremendous market volatility and particularly high volume trading in a company's mm-hmm. stock. If if you look at the case of uh, Occidental Petroleum. Um, and we discussed this, uh, the two of us earlier this week, um, you know, my, my sense was Carl Icahn is all in on the campaign. Um, he's going to do whatever he needs to do to average down on the cost of his investment. And I expected him to file a 13 D, um, pretty soon, uh, uh, buying, uh, in, in all the sell off of Oxy and, and indeed, uh, you know, that happened yesterday and today. That's right. This is the one where he bought, uh, went from 2.5% to all, to 9.9%, uh, basically quadrupling his position, uh, even though apparently uh, he's, I would calculated to lo- have lost a billion dollars on his investment so far there. He has a director contest uh, seeking to take control, very upset about their Anadarko acquisition there. Um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So you think that uh, Occidental will install a poison pill? I you mean, know, I, if they I haven't can't, already? I can't. I can't speculate on, on what Oxy uh, is going to do or is not going to do, but you know, a, a lot of our clients are very carefully uh, considering uh, the, the poison pills or the shareholder rights plans that they currently have on their shelf. And most mm-hmm. most uh, public companies, large and small, uh, you know, ranging from $10 million of market cap up to $100 billion of market cap, they're well advised to have a fully operational um, a poison pill sitting on their shelf, a shelf plan, ready to go in case there is, you know, one of these imminent threats facing the company. We're in a time right now where many stocks are trading at uh, six, seven, ten times volume. They've lost, uh, in the case of some energy stocks, um, real estate stocks, hospitality, consumer, you know, out-of-home entertainment stocks um, are 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 losing or have lost, you know, 75 to 90% of their market value. This is a time for an opportunistic activist that's well capitalized, sees a lot of value to unlock, uh, to come in and really buy away a controlling stake or a quasi-controlling uh, stake um, uh, without paying an appropriate premium to shareholders. Because again, this downturn can be episodic and prices can normalize. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for for someone to come in and buy a $10 billion stock at a, at a $1 billion uh, valuation and buy 10%, uh, you know, some might argue that a premium should be paid. So, you know, companies should be considering at this time whether to adopt a short-term uh, shareholder rights plan, poison pill, uh, you know, with a trigger set, you know, somewhere in the, in the 10 to 20% range. Uh, to protect against, um, uh, you know, investors coming in uh, opportunistically speculating um, that they'll be able to buy that big stake of the company uh, on the cheap uh, so that they 
uh, has you know more influence over the company when the company's uh, market capitalization reflects its actual value. So the idea is, uh, you know, you have Carl Icahn with his huge cash hoard. He comes in and buys a twenty-five percent stake before the, anybody even notices it. Really, in this uh, massively discounted valuation market of let's say an oil and gas company he's always wanted to own, that kind of scenario you need to protect exactly. against that. You know, uh, uh, particularly during this time when there's these massive uh, discounted valuations. And it's interesting, when, it's not just the oil and gas industry, it's a lot of other industries like the, I don't know, cruise line industries and those companies, uh, airlines, that could be susceptible to this. Th- that's right, you know, with, with all the churn, um, you don't know who's selling, you don't know who's buying. Uh, you know, clearly we have one example, well, we have two examples uh, where uh, Icon, um, has has bought uh, substantially more stakes. Uh, we have Oxy. There was Newell um, earlier today as well, right. um, where the stake was up. And I, I think we're going to see more examples of that come out within the next um, ten days or so. You know, there are going to be a host of funds that um, you know are playing below five percent um, that have been active below the radar. Who uh, you know out of being careful uh, with their investments and trying to average down the cost of their investments, they're going to buy as much as they possibly can because they need to show their LPs that they're doing what's necessary to take control over their investment. If it's going sideways, we may see a wave of 13 Ds filed uh, over the next several weeks as these funds, uh, you know, cross 5% um, have the requisite intent to be a 13 D filer. Mm-hmm. It's 10 days they got to file a 13D. So I think we will see, we will see a wave of that um, uh, coming as, as, uh, as you know, hopefully the market settle down. Okay, so uh, that's fascinating stuff, uh, Lawrence. Really appreciate it. So tell me, there were, you mentioned also insurance industry. Uh, insurance, uh, 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 getting uh, appropriate insurance sounds like that's something that uh, companies can do to help cover the cost of an activist campaign, which can be substantial, yeah. but also during volatile times. Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, companies uh, uh, should should also have business interruption insurance policies. This is separate from activism. Okay. Uh, you know, companies would be well advised to the extent that their businesses are interrupted um, uh, by uh, by the uh, pandemic. Uh, that's going on right now, uh, they should be checking with their insurance council uh, to see whether business interruption insurance has been triggered. There are lots of exceptions to business interruption coverage, uh, but it, it's always good to tell uh, your constituencies that you at least check the policy. Uh, you'd be mm-hmm. surprised what you might have. You know, five years ago, um, when, uh, when, when I started uh, uh, working, um, as an activism defense advisor, 100% of my time, I realized that there were very few matters, actually no matters, uh, where companies and their boards were making claims under their DNO insurance policies um, when uh, shareholder activism campaigns were coming. Mm-hmm. Boards and that's the uh, for the la- uh, listener. That's the director and officer insurance policies, right? That's correct. Um, most companies were waiting for litigation, which comes up in activism, but not all the time. And then they would make a claim. We, we realized that that director and officer insurance policies, do you know, insurance policies have a host of different coverages that might apply. Um, 
there there is coverage for lawsuits. There's coverage for public and private written demands and and nasty grams against the board and management team. But we're not dealing with that right now. Right now, we're in a crisis, um, and you know many insurance policies out there uh, provide for um, companies to receive from their insurance carrier without a deductible uh, somewhere in the hundred thousand to two hundred and fifty thousand dollar range um, of coverage for what's known as crisis coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, these policies list out what constitutes a crisis and uh, you know director and officer resignations um, uh, significantly you know bad earnings quarter over quarter year over year loss of major contract uh, you know major lawsuits activism can constitute a crisis under these policies. And uh, what the insurance carrier believes is that if they pay the company without a deductible $100,000 to go out there and engage uh, an investor relations firm and engage a bank, uh, engage uh, an attorney, uh, engage a proxy solicitor to help with shareholder engagement, the Mm -hmm. carrier believes that that engagement uh, will help reduce the risk of the bigger lawsuits and the bigger activism campaigns uh, in the future. Um, five years ago, companies that we were working with, at least, were overlooking this type of coverage nine out of ten times. Uh, we're now securing this type of coverage uh, for many of our clients, um, and we're defending 25 to 35 campaigns, uh, depending uh, depending on the year. Uh, this has become, you know, a very helpful tool uh, for our clients to have a breathing spell, not have to worry about cash on their balance sheet, uh, to collaborate with their insurance company, to help collaborate with their shareholders, uh, to try to, you know, achieve, um, you know, a beneficial outcome for everybody. Um, and again, you know, in terms of other recommendations that companies should be doing uh, during this time, likewise, after you manage to get that coverage uh, for crisis from your carrier, um, uh, actually whether or not you get the crisis, boards and management teams need to be talking with their shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to be listening to their shareholders um, what, you know, while taking steps to make sure that uh, the business is being run properly um, and that um, you know, the, the workforces as applicable are healthy and safe and sound. Um, Directors and officers are still fiduciaries and stewards of value for their shareholders. They need to talk to them, mm-hmm. um, you know, within reason. Uh, you know, those dialogues should be ongoing when the windows are open uh, to have dialogue with shareholders, and companies should be listening. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is a time when shareholders uh, are, are worried, are frustrated. Uh, if they were already frustrated with the performance of management or the performance of the board with the stock price going down for whatever reason, it's going to exacerbate. In our view, the best way to stave off or solve for a campaign that's going to happen in the future is to start with engagement really early. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would we would use whether or not you get that insurance coverage, use the tool of engagement um, as a way uh, to uh, – you know, bring bring uh, uh, forward uh, positive relationships with shareholders during a, a difficult uh, financial climate. And so, do you think that's uh, it's it's like not just the IR department talking to the 
investors. We're talking directors on the board or uh, executives, particularly your larger investors, some of the, the big index funds and things like that? Or Look, there's, there's a time and a place uh, for everyone to engage. I think, you know, it starts with making sure you're taking the regular inbound calls, um, shareholders, through whatever the regular process is. Um, if there's already a unique relationship with certain large or small shareholders um, through, you know, different contacts with the management of the board, it just needs to be coordinated. Everyone needs to speak with one voice uh, and mm-hmm. convey the same message. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, uh, you know, again, it, making sure you're, you're engaging through the right touch points is very important. Okay. All right. Great. This has been uh, uh, the Activist Investing Today podcast with your host, Ron Oral. We've been talking to Lawrence Elbaum at Vincent and Elkins, who's uh, given us lots of food for thought, lots of things to think about as this uh, coronavirus epidemic continues. Uh, thank you, Lawrence, for taking a little time. Thank you very much for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you.